Hello and welcome to the Moonshots podcast. It is a super duper episode 72. I'm your co-host Mike Parsons and as always I'm joined by Mark Pearson Freeland on what is a sunny and bright Sydney morning. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Mr. Mike. It is a beautiful autumnal Sydney morning, isn't it? What a blue sky. It's wonderful. It's almost like the gods are saying, gentlemen, it's time for a new series, a new innovator, a new leader from whom we can learn. Mark, where are we going today? Ooh-wee. It is a good one. I'm excited by this, especially now that I've had a little bit of time at home to catch up on some content. It is none other than Mr. Bob Iger, Robert Iger, Executive Chairman and CEO of the Walt Disney Company. Ooh, my gosh. Can you imagine being the CEO of Disney? Like the responsibility that comes with that, and he has done it for 15 years. And Mark, for the 30 years before that, where did he work? Disney. Yeah, exactly. He's just one of the most kind of ingrained individuals, I suppose, at the business. You know, he lives and breathes it. He is one of the characters, basically. And I think it's really nice to start our media innovation series with someone like Bob, because you know, right now we're watching and consuming more media than ever. I mean, it's pretty spectacular, the boom that we're seeing for not only for Disney, but also for Netflix and others, but also because I think Bob is a classic man, a classic leader. He would make Peter Drucker, Michael Porter absolutely proud. And I think the fact that in this day and age, how many people do we get to learn from who have essentially worked at one company their entire 45-year career. That doesn't happen very often these days. You're totally right. I mean, not only on the consumption of content and so on at home, you're quite right. We've all really, really gone deep into the you know, the depths and, and catalogs of Netflix, Disney Plus, and so on. But Bob Iger is just one of those guys that he's done the time. He knows this brand so, so well. You know, he is part of the furniture in the best sort of way. And it's nice to, you know, go through Bob's career, his book. I mean, obviously, there's a plethora of audio clips and podcast shows that he's done. And it's just nice hearing him tell his side of the story. You know, like you say, he's a classics man. I love that. And, you know, what's not to be forgotten, okay, it's not just his tenure that makes him special, but we're talking about since he took over what was a struggling Disney at the time. He has acquired Marvel, Lucasfilm, hello, brackets, Star Wars, 20th Century Fox, and the big one, let's not forget, he could acquire Pixar. And to think that if Steve Jobs was prepared to let Disney acquire Pixar, can you imagine what that says about what Steve Jobs thought of Bob Iger. I mean, this Disney under his tenure has become epic. It has become vibrant and thriving. And we've got someone who was at the steering wheel for 15 years, and we can learn from Bob Iger how he built a great Disney, how he leaded, how he was the best version of himself. I mean, this is a great privilege, someone who has accomplished so much. And we can decode and learn 
from them. I mean, I'm pretty fired up, Mark. Well, me too. I'm totally fired up. You know, exactly like you say, there's so much to learn from him with regards to becoming your best version. I think that's a great terminology because I think Bob is his best version. He has done so much incredible work in the acquisitions of these mega, mega properties of Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilms, and 20th Century Fox. And it's been great fun, you know, diving into his career and what makes Bob, Bob. And there's so many little tips and lessons that we can take away from that and inspire us to do it in our own careers. Yeah, so we've got like an action-packed show coming up. We're going to have a look at what it really takes to be a leader, and we're going to get some really new takes. We're going to hear some thoughts from Bob Iger of Disney that we've not heard from other leaders and innovators, and we're also going to get some really smart habits and rituals that we can all do in our jobs. So there's a ton to learn from him and some really powerful truths and values that he holds to be true. And I think that this is a really nice step change from the fabulous Women in Innovation series, which was very much an uplifting and inspirational set of women. Now I think we're going to move into some different thoughts, very much some classic leadership and management skills, some great habits to have, and some real truths about staying the course and working to the very best of your ability. So what an action-packed show. But before we get started on our first clip, Mark, if anyone wants to get show notes here, the back catalogue of shows, where does everyone go? There's a great destination, and it is soon going to be as big as Disney+. Plus. I know it. It is (laughs) moonshots.io. We work very hard at keeping the site up to date with all of our latest shows, and we're going through the back catalogue, adding transcriptions to all of the shows as well. And you've got show notes up there. You've got some links to additional sources. So please go and check it out. Let us know what you think. Drop us an email and just interact. You know, we put a lot of love into our, into our little property. And it's always nice to hear from our, our fans when people get in touch. Absolutely. And don't forget, if you are listening and you've got your mobile device in your hand, jump into your podcast store, give us a rating, give us a review. I think we're almost at 100 now across all platforms. So a big thank you to everyone for showing the love. That's exactly how we can spread our story of learning and innovation to more and more people. So we're really grateful for that. But I feel it is time to get the very wisdom of Bob Iger. And to set it all up, we're actually going to look at how Bob really looked around him and really observed and learned. He's a great disciple of listen and learn. And we're going to have a listen to Bob talking about how he gathered wisdom through all his adventures. So to open it up, let's have a listen to Bob Iger talking about gathering wisdom. There's there's so many layers to you that I didn't know about nor see, uh, but you had 20 different jobs at the company and like 14 bosses? About that. About yes. that? Yeah. I've been who, around a long which, time. Yeah, who which, was your least which favorite? Boss did you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I learned from all of them. I, I'm really lucky, actually, as I look back, and one of the reasons I'm where I am is I had bosses that were not, were not only uh, very successful in their own right, but they, they all taught me something either purposely or just by watching them. 
and I had great mentors, and you know, I, I, they all are responsible for for the achievements that I've that I've made. But a lot of great wisdom here is traded at the urinals in 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 the back. <laughs> And you gleaned some great wisdom as well. You know this for uh, a fact. Well, right? I, I thought the, the quip that he came back with was very quick. Yes. <laughs> I worked for a, a man named Rune Arledge, who was renowned in ABC Sports and then ABC News. And we were standing next to one another. You do, you do not have a shot. Oh, there's Rune. Look room. at that. By the way, look at you, Bob. I don't know when that was. <laughs> you have looked like a movie star a slight your whole life. The hair is a slight improvement. <laughs> That's fabulous. Uh, but I was standing next to him in the men's room. For those of you who may not have experienced that, you don't know whether to talk or not. I'm standing next to my boss, who I did not get a chance to speak with very much. And he asked, how's it going? And I said, some days I have trouble keeping my head above water. And he responded like this, get along or snorkel. And this is all being said at the urinal. Yeah, there's so many ways to go there's, here. Uh, there's yeah. a lot. I oh, no, no, no. I I'm a Disney guy. No. I'm a Disney guy. No, he was merely saying, "Hey, if it, you think it's tough, right. toughen yeah. up more." Or something that's actually like that. that's actually great advice because right. nobody, you know, at the, at that level, nobody's going to feel sorry for whatever your daily trials and tribu tri tribulations yes. are. Right? I learned that early. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit of an unusual clip. It's a nice, honest, revealing story. I think. What's fun about this and what we can take away from it is Bob's admission that his 14 bosses in those 20 jobs, every mentor, whether they intentionally go out to teach a lesson or whether it's just something that you listen in and observe and absorb, they're responsible for your success. So you're a part of everything that kind of comes before you. And what's nice about this and something that I think I'm going to take away from this clip is how can I help those around me? How can I mentor those to help others achieve their very best? You know, for Bob, this interaction, even though it might be, you know, a little bit rare for him and his boss to rub shoulders, so to speak, you know, it's actually a really good little valuable little tip. You know, admittedly, it's a little bit hard, this longer snorkel, tough it up scenario. <laughs> but actually, as a bit of advice, it's nice. It is. And what I really took out of this is not everyone is going to sit down and walk you through things, explain things and teach you the lessons. So you have to be prepared to take learning however it may come. And just because someone doesn't spend much time with you or give you deliberate instruction doesn't mean you can't learn from them. And I really like this because sometimes we can get a little bummed out when our boss or our peers don't take the time to share, teach, and learn together. But I think what Bob's really teaching us is he was prepared to learn no matter how it came to him. And I think what's powerful about that is he didn't tune out and say, well, he never spends any time with me, so I'm not going to pay any attention to him. Rather, he just took learnings in whatever shape they came. And I, I find that very resourceful and quite resilient because I think sometimes we're a bit spoiled and we want it all served up on a plate, but he was prepared to work hard for even small learnings like that, wasn't he? That's actually a great observation. Bob could have been telling this story from a, oh, he never spoke to me. The only time he gave me advice was in the urinal, but actually he didn't. What he's saying is exactly as you say, it comes in many, many different forms, sometimes small, sometimes big, sometimes deliberate, sometimes 
from observation. And there are opportunities all around us to learn from others as well as situations. Particularly when it's not presented in a form that's really packaged for us. I think work a bit harder on our learnings, even if it's maybe even tough to hear or unusual to hear. If you work through it, you know, you can take a little bit of wisdom from every moment. But I think that what Bob's really setting up for us is already we're starting to see the mindset of a leader, someone who's going to take ownership, someone who's going to be proactive. And We've got a great collection of values that he talks about that were essential not only to his success, but Disney's success. And he sets us up now. We've got a bunch of really great clips coming, but he really starts to get into some of the values that he holds true. And I think the best place to start is with kind of an unusually, it's almost an obvious value, something that's perhaps said a lot, but not often done. And this is talking about how we perceive others, regardless of who they are, and having a starting point of decency. So let's have a listen now to Bob Iger talking about respect. All right, Bob, first of all, play with an open hand. I love this book, and I loved it because I love business, but I also love decency and respect. And throughout it, those two themes do dominate. The people who show respect and are decent are winners in this book. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you for reading the book and thanking, uh, thank you for pointing that out. Yes, I think uh, treating people with respect and being decent uh, goes a long way in terms of a person's success and in terms of a company's success. Companies that value their people, that respect their people, that are decent, are typically successful companies. You seem to treat everybody the same. I'm not kidding. The employees are treated the same way as Steve Jobs is, treated the same way as your as Rune Ar- the great Rune Arledge. It just seems to be a theme of how you treat people. Look, I started out at the very bottom, an entry-level position, $150 a week employee. Uh, worked my way up over all these years, now with a company 45 years, to uh, you know, have the opportunity to run this great company. I still remind myself of who I was when I started. And, uh, you know, I try not to lose sight of the fact that um, while my title has changed, that I haven't really changed that much as a person. So I feel it's important to have empathy and to relate to other people who are in similar positions that I was in along the way. Great leadership tip there. You know, no matter what direction and things that Bob has been up to, you know, he started as $150 a week employee and you know now he's a significant powerhouse in the industry and in the global CEO sector don't lose sight of who you are i think that's a great line and it's something that you probably wouldn't always hear from these CEOs you know these people who are running these big big brands it's an emotional tip as well as a business well, it's so often that we have this sort of vision of the all-conquering CEO, this epic figure of leadership and accomplishment, and, you know, ego can very quickly get out of hand there. But let's turn this as a little exercise onto ourselves, Mark. Who can't argue with the idea of be a decent person, respect the people, no matter who they are around you? But okay, So we like this, but how do we do it? Like, how do you try and keep yourself accountable to a value like this? Do you have any little tricks or habits that you do just to keep yourself humble? Oh, yeah, yeah. Keep humble. Okay. I'll take you on a little trip down memory lane for a second. I remember when I was growing up, my parents always suggested that 
you should treat others how you want to be treated. And I think there's a good similarity here with what Bob's telling us. You know, everybody's equal. Treat others as equals. If you show distancy and respect, that goes a long way. Don't lose sight of who you are. I feel as though for me, my own, you know, direction of treating others how I myself would like to be treated is a nice reminder. You know, if you're going to get sharp with someone or if you're going to give feedback to a colleague or an employee or or a friend even, you've got to, again, take a moment to, I guess, breathe and think, okay, well, how would I like to receive it? What would be the proactive way for me if somebody was telling me this? How would I best take a learning from it? Yes, to take that and build on it. I always, in those moments, try and imagine myself as I was their business agent or their manager, to use a sports and entertainment analogy. And when you do that, like those people have one job, and that is to make their athlete or their star as good as they can be. So it becomes like a question of, okay, Perhaps they did something that they could have done better. How can I work with this person with respect for them like we're sort of business partners, like I'm their agent, I'm their mentor? And the reason that this is very powerful because as soon as you take on I'm their coach as a mindset is it gets you a long way away from just getting into, let's say someone gives you a really poor communication, poor feedback, and maybe makes it personal and you want to like fire back with a personal retort to them and sort of get into this kind of hand-to-hand combat, if you say, no, I'm the coach, that's a great device to stop yourself from getting in the trenches and duking it out, but rather be decent and be respectful. Mm. I think that's something I try and remind myself of when I'm working with peers, colleagues or clients is always like, okay, if I was this person's coach, what would I say? What would I do to help and support them to be the best version of themselves? Now, I don't always get it right, but I guess the idea that I'm sharing here is it's a very good frame to start with so that you don't go down the track of, hey, you didn't do what you said you'd do. Hey, you're underperforming and getting into things like blame and accusation, but rather like moving away into a more positive construct. Well, leaders lead, don't they? The best leaders try to do exactly as you're saying. They try to make their peers and colleagues the best versions of themselves. And it's kind of like, I guess, tending a garden. You know, the more effort and patience you put into it, the more you get out of it, as a strange analogy. And that's the same with people. You know, if you show them this decency and respect that Bob's you know, suggesting that we do. And as you say, you act as a coach, a manager, you're encouraging them to go and live and perform in their best way possible. Suddenly, the, you know, return on investment that you get out of this person is actually very, very high because they are showing that passion. They're responding in the best possible way. Look, culture is everything. I mean, you look at any winning sports team and you can see and hear and smell the positive culture. You look at a great basketball team like of recent times when the Golden State Warriors were winning back-to-back championships or if you're watching Netflix and The Last Dance, if you look at Chicago Bulls when they're at their zenith, 
everyone is coming together around a mission, everyone is fighting the fight, everyone is giving 101%. That is culture. And culture for me is built around how we collaborate, how we interact with each other, which is behaviours. And I don't know, I think decency and respect have to be like the first values as part of that. So if you want to feel good when you're amongst your teammates, then for me, it starts with decency and respect. And I think that there's sort of another way to turn this, like if you have a very sort of positive reinforcement model and say, hey, I'm their mentor, I'm their coach, how would I treat them? There's another side to this. So look, we're all human. So sometimes we can fall into a bad habit or a bad response. There's another idea that I've mentioned once on the show ages ago that I found very instructional. And it was all around this idea of when someone is off track, when somebody is just in a bad place, let's say it's a colleague or a client, there's this really nice thought and it goes like this. Don't judge people because you never know what kind of battle they are fighting. Nice. So let's say someone's a total idiot and is really disrespectful to you. Just take a breath. You have no idea, particularly people you don't know very well, you might have no idea of what's going on for them. And just to build on that as well, that's exactly it. I myself would hope that I would be treated in that way. So if I was to come in and maybe I'd had a bad morning, maybe I just had the worst meeting of my life and I have a momentary lapse and I'm a little bit grumpy maybe, or you know, maybe it's something even more than that. I'd appreciate it when my colleagues would show me that awareness. So exactly as you've just said, it's this culture of knowing that everybody has a, a backstory almost. Everybody has a life around them. Everybody's individual. When you remember that and when you put it into action, then you realize, oh, they aren't just behaving like this because they're not very good. Instead, it's, oh, they're behaving like this because of something that you know I can't really touch. I won't judge them on that. I'll encourage and motivate them in perhaps a more constructive way that's over here. And ultimately, both parties end up the stronger for it. You end up evolving as a team. You end up, you know, being stronger the next time something like that happens. Totally, totally. You start to see here that, you know, Bob is taking learnings any way he can. His default starting point is with both decency and respect. And it's really nice to have this as a reminder that his success starts with these very universal truths. And it really starts to frame what you can start to see is his positive mindset, doesn't it? It does. It does, absolutely. And building on that, let's see the next clip that we got from Bob, actually, because that's a nice segue. We are exploring this idea of leadership, what Bob believes are really good values in being a leader of people or an employee or a colleague. And there's another core principle and element that Bob tells us that helps him drive progress forward, that he believes is one of the core traits that any leader should have in place, and that is optimism. Uh, that the great leaders have, I've discovered, is uh, optimism. You talk about the, the negative power of pessimism and the positive optimism. I just want to leave us 
I find so many people are pessimistic right now. It's driving me crazy. You have made, remained optimistic through all sorts of turmoil, including personal turmoil in the book, tragedy of the theme park, uh, a difficulty, uh, difficult relationships with people, someone who said you're going to basically you're never going to advance in Disney. And throughout the book, you the theme is optimism. How do people maintain it? these days? Well, I think, by the way, optimism is a core principle of good leadership. As you know, people just don't want to follow someone who's a pessimist. And I remember as a kid seeing World War II movies, you know, and you'd have some captain or lieutenant or officer of some sort saying, okay, we're going over this hill. You know, come on, fellas. If that guy is a pessimist, who's going to go over the hill with him? You know, and if you, I think if you, you equate that to business, it's in many respects, you know, somewhat similar. It's, a, it's an interesting world. Change is so rapid, so profound that it creates a huge amount of anxiety. In some cases, cynicism. In some cases, people view the world as dystopian in nature. That's actually why I like Disney so much, because what do we do? We manufacture fun. You know, we enlighten people. We tell stories that are optimistic, where the future is bright, good will triumph over evil, there's value in adventure, the value of love, friendship, family, respecting your elders. I mean, I could go on and on. Well, That's I Disney. In this world... What a better time to be in this business. And it's actually, I just met with 325 Disney executives in Florida, at Orlando, and I said to them, another reason to be optimistic, there are many if you're at Disney, is that factor. Look where we are in the world today. I really like this because for me, I'm quite an optimistic, growth-minded person, and I just see it as optimism as an essential life force. You have to wake up in the morning believing something good can happen. And I mean, holy smoke, right now in a post-COVID world where we've been quarantined and so forth, more than ever, do we have this choice? Do we want to be victims or do we want to take ownership? Do we want to be negative or do we want to be positive? I think this is quite a reminder from somebody who was told, you're never going anywhere in Disney, you'll never be the boss, <laughs> to someone who's had a 15-year tenure as CEO who has smashed the records, turned the company from sort of stagnant to a growth engine. I think this is a very timely reminder on the choice that we have around our mentality. You're totally right. This choice of thinking about or approaching problems or opportunities around us is totally up to us as an individual. It depends on me to interpret a problem or an opportunity and respond to it appropriately. And what I like about this, you know, bit of advice from Bob and exactly what you've just said, Mike, which is, you know, having an optimistic growth mindset is a good trait to have when you, as soon as you wake up, basically, it's a good challenge. You know, how do I try to keep myself on this optimistic track each day is something that I think everybody can sort of be challenged with. What's your secret? How do you wake up and feel optimistic? What kind of gets you into that right headspace, do you think? Well, you know, I heard an Uber driver, he had this ritual that he told me about where every morning he wakes up and he is just grateful for a new day. He always thinks to himself, every morning, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And I love this choice to wake up and to say, wow, what can happen today? And 
to me, it is, I mean, in terms of the timeliness of this, it's ridiculous because there's all this uncertainty and craziness in the world. We don't control that, but we can control how we think about it, how we respond to it. I love the reminder that I'm getting here that optimism is a choice. And sure, you might be optimistic, but you still face great challenge. This takes me straight back to our most recent show with Ariana Huffington. She was a poor girl in Greece who said, I want to go to Cambridge. And everyone's like, are you crazy? And do you remember her mum was like, let's see how we can do that. Yeah. And she not only went on to do that, she founded a company. She sold for $300 million. That company won a Pulitzer Prize. Like, oh, my gosh, there's some optimism. And, in fact, if you look at the whole disposition of Melinda and Michelle in the Women in Innovation series, again, they chose to be optimistic. So whilst they have different things to teach us from Bob, the thing that brings them together is optimism, and that's a choice. For me, I don't think we can remind ourselves of this enough, and I think anyone who's listening to this at home under quarantine, I I would just say here is your chance to say, okay, yes, there's some challenges, but what did I learn? How can I make a positive out of a negative? It's a great mindset. It's great. It's a good, encouraging reminder for all of us. I mean, whenever you and I speak regularly on the phone, and actually I do notice the first call that you and I might have in a day, you do call out the positive. You do say, what a beautiful day. What a beautiful time to be around. Look at the sky, even though we're isolated or at home, just look outside. And I appreciate that. It's a good reminder to me. And what I take from Bob and what I take from you know your calls, Mike, is as soon as we improve our own optimism, as soon as we change that mindset and start looking on the bright side of life, as Monty Python would say, and much like your Uber driver, he's very, very grateful every morning, that starts to rub off on others. You know, Bob is saying, be a powerful leader by being optimistic. Nobody's going to follow the negative person over the top of a hill. When you are optimistic and when you believe in what you're doing, when you're positive, when you're happy, that's a very, very powerful force that people are attracted toward. And it gives people confidence and it gives people the empowerment to go and, you know, pass it on. There's a great behavior that I've seen in a few different countries around the world, which is pay it forward. So if I'm buying a coffee, maybe I'll buy two coffees. And the person behind me in the queue will get theirs for free. Just, (laughs) you know, it's a little bit of a tangent, but actually that's quite a optimistic, playful, powerful behavior that actually does make a difference for the person behind me. And I think even as leaders, that can continue in your work, in your career. So to look at the other side of this, or sort of the, what comes after this, what Bob has another teaching for us, like, okay, so you're treating people right. You're learning in any situation, you're optimistic, and things start going well. Okay. Now, on the other side of this is success. And what comes with success is sometimes ego. And he has more learnings for us. It's great. Now, what we've got the chance to do is to look at what happens when your things are going well, you're hitting home runs, you're meeting objectives, ticking boxes, everything's going well. People are recognizing and acknowledging the success. Bob's got some powerful 
values and lessons for us around, okay, don't get ahead of yourself. So let's have a listen to Bob Iger talking about what not to do and how to fail as a leader. Well, I think leaders fail for a number of reasons. Uh, arrogance is a sure way to create failure. Uh, sometimes in leadership positions, in positions of power, particularly when success ensues, it's easy for people to allow success to go to their heads and to get arrogant. Sometimes they fail because leadership can be an isolating experience. And in isolation, you lose the ability, for whatever reason, uh, to hear differing opinions. Sometimes with leadership comes a power that intimidates people to even express themselves in honest ways. And I think the last thing with leaders, which probably is a collection of all the things I just said, is it can go to your head. The old power corrupts, I think, is an apt, uh, truly apt statement or concept. It's a statement or concept that obviously we see in a lot of Disney movies as well, but it's, you know, born out of a total truth. If you let this power or this very, very, you know, self-reflective energy be too much in isolation, you only think about yourself. You're only thinking about the immediate walls around you rather than your colleagues and peers or your family even. And what I like about this thought from Bob is when you remove the walls around you, when you aren't entirely isolated and you get the different opinions from others around you, suddenly you're not only enriched, but also you're having more of an effect on those around you. You're being that leader. You're not letting it go to your head. You're not being arrogant or directing people in the way that you want to go. You're open to other points of view and you are part of a team. And I like that. I think that's a great kind of a reminder of how to behave as a leader. And you can imagine the temptation when you're working at the world's biggest media company, the temptation to think you've been the CEO for 15 years, you're kicking ass, taking names. I mean, they launched Disney Plus and in six months they had 50 million subscribers. I mean, a lot of people will be like, yep, that's me, I'm the best. But it is, you're absolutely right, it's a very good reminder. And once again, what you see here is something actually that I saw in Michelle Obama and that despite all of her success and being the most powerful couple in the world, she was still prepared to accept her story and to admit to challenges in a very open and frank way in which many people don't. And I think Bob is actually cut of the same cloth. He's like, easy tiger, calm it down a little bit, don't get ahead of yourself, listen to points of view, around you, maybe those that are different. And it is, you're absolutely right. It's a great reminder. But I want to remind you, Mark, and all of our listeners that we, we are not done with Bob Iger. We have some other really, really good clips to come. How would you describe the next set of clips we've got? How would you describe those, Mark? Because there's some goodies in there. Well, a lot of the podcasts and Bob's work so far that we've discussed are all about leaders. It's all about leading people. And I think that He's the man if you want to learn how to lead well. He's a classics guy. And these values that he's already told us about, decency, respect, optimism, avoiding arrogance, these are really, really good tips. What we're now going to explore is something a little bit more akin to -to day-to-day work 
how can I, as a maybe an employee or a peer or a colleague, action some of these tips if I'm not leading one of the most popular businesses or companies in the world? <laughs> wait, wait for this, Mark. 200,000 employees, right? So let's say you don't have 200,000 in your team, but there's still some magic, isn't there? Where should we start, Mark? I'm going to start with Bob's focus on this small detail. You know, it's something that we all strive towards. But no matter what it is, no matter what you do, even the smallest detail that you are in control of, as long as you've done it well, it contributes a tremendous amount to the value of the project as a whole. First of all, there's a Japanese word, which he didn't teach me. I discovered in a documentary about a sushi chef in Tokyo called shokunin, which is the relentless pursuit of perfection. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've never worked with anyone or seen anyone up close that embodied that than Steve Jobs. He believed that perfection, mostly in the product that they created, had incredible value. And it, that was a core value to Apple, as a for instance. Um, he had talked about guts and the ability to take chances. Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. And the um, perseverance often required, particularly in the face of tremendous pessimism. Yeah. Uh, he was quite something there. He... Um, yeah, he also had an incredible designer's eye. And I've worked with people before who have taste, but he could hone in on the most minute detail and understand that even the smallest detail, if well done, contributes a tremendous amount of value to the whole. For me, the idea here is that if you're truly doing something which you care about and you're proud of your work, then you should strive for perfection. And it's really a question of being proud, not only of your work, but of yourself. You want to be able to stand behind your work. Maybe even greater yet is something that I've spoken about a fair bit, which is what is your legacy, right? And I think that every day we have a chance to strive for perfection. One of the things I do, Mark, is I have Grammarly and I use that grammar checking tool in order to make sure all forms of my written communication from email to documents to white papers to case studies to masterclasses, you name it, everything goes through Grammarly so that my communication is as good as it can be. I really like this idea of holding yourself to a high standard. So my question for you, Mark, is when you're striving for perfection, what's something you do to raise the bar? Mm -hmm. Good tip. You know, Grammarly is a fantastic add-on to your browser. And, you know, actually, I must admit, I also use it too. And it's a great value add. For me, I think it's also possible to strive for perfection by working with others. So I like to collaborate. I like to co-create. And something for me before getting started on a project, whether it's an email or a presentation or, or a new proposition of some kind or a product, I like to really, really understand as much detail as possible. I like to sit with colleagues and peers and really get into the detail of, okay, well, what is it? Why does it matter? What's the data that proves that this could be valuable? Because I believe that perfection as an idea has to be built on solid foundations. Obviously, the word is a little bit subjective, as we know from our own work in the past. But for me, I strive for it by collaborating. I might go away and create something and I might think, yeah, 
this is it. I've cracked it. But actually only, you know, similar to what Bob was telling us a minute ago about letting things get to your head. Only when I share it with somebody else do I know, is that the quality checker? Because I might be so far <laughs> beyond the line thinking that it's right, that I only when working with somebody else and describing it to somebody else, do I realize, oh no, it, it doesn't work. So I think for me, getting perfection is if I can get another person to sort of agree with my point, my mindset. I cannot tell you how much I depend upon others giving me feedback, contributing to ideas will in the end make my ideas better. Exactly. So every time I've shared an idea, it just comes back better, right? It just comes back better. And I think a lot of people feel that they can't share something till it's perfect or they are scared, and this always blows me away, that someone's going to steal their idea. Mm. I think the thing is that if you have a disposition, ideas get better. And look, let's be honest, in our work, we know you can have the idea to do a, a podcast on learning from innovators. And that may or may not be a good idea, but the real truth that we have learned time and time again in this show, ideas are 1%, execution is 99% because it takes courage, resilience, discipline, stamina. You've got to stay the course. So for me, perfection is just share it and work on it together. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> You're totally right. Everybody's got good ideas. Everybody thinks that they've got the next big unicorn. But actually, it's all about, like you say, the execution. And a lot of that requires more than one person. A lot of it requires a touchstone, you know, to tell whether it's gold or not. <laughs> when you're sharing those ideas with others, that's when you can understand whether it's a goer. And you get different perspectives and different perspectives make better ideas. And I can tell you what, Bob Iger's got some thoughts here because if you're thinking about ideas and going for perfection, never has there been a greater challenge than to take a company with such history in the past to think about the future. And we've actually got some really great learnings now on how Bob really had this mental model on how to actually innovate. And he's got some great wisdom for us. So let's have a listen now to Bob Iger talking about having one hand in the present and one hand in the future. Well, as you can imagine, when you, when you manage a company that is as complex as this in so many businesses, there's um, an interesting challenge to manage for today and manage for tomorrow. I talk about it in terms of using your hands. You, you have to have one hand in the future and one hand in the present. If you have two in one place, then you fail. If you have two in the future, then you're not managing your business day to day, and that's a big problem operationally. And if you're just managing today, then you're going to miss out on opportunities or you're going to completely ignore significant threats and not prepare yourself for that. So this notion of protecting the present is something that I talk about a lot at the company. David Putnam, Sir David Putnam, gave a speech in the UK a couple of weeks ago, and he said, protectionism is much more digestible than innovation, which I thought was very well put. So as the CEO of the company, I feel that it is my role to make sure everybody's got a hand in the future and a hand in the present, and that we are mindful of the value the present is delivering, but not so overly protective of it that we're ignoring you know, a, a world that is changing right before our eyes. This is a good thought-provoking clip because it's telling us you've got to have hands in both time periods. 
You've got to think about your business now. You've got to protect the present, but you can't not plan for the future. You've got to have a hand and an eye looking towards the horizon. But what I like about this is actually, again, it's tied into all of the other clips that we've been talking about so far, because only by being a valuable and trustworthy leader could he inspire the business to think about both time spaces. Look, Mark, that's the only way he could get the team to entertain the idea of what he called a more undigestible idea of being disruptive, doing things in the future. Because what he said is like, being in the past is very comfortable, right? Just keeping the things that you do today going, that's a very comfortable disposition. What he was suggesting is how uncomfortable we get when we think about change, when we think about doing something differently. And you're absolutely right. You don't have permission to lead people into the future if they don't feel the respect, the common cause, the fact that they're cared for, the fact that they're safe. These are themes that we've heard a lot of. But what's really fascinating here is this is Bob Iger's version of a mentor model. And somebody else who was very good on mentor models was Elon Musk. And he is all about the sort of a very quantitative look into the future and inevitability, even if it seems ridiculous today, he can think about it in the future. What's interesting is Bob has a more of a people-based mental model, which is, hey guys, we need to be half in today, half into tomorrow. And what I like is these are two different, incredibly successful people who've led companies into the future in very different ways. I think that's really interesting to see that there were two different paths to creating the future. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I, I think that's a great observation. You know, Bob's admission of protectionism, it is, like you say, very, very easy to focus on the past. It's very, very easy to only think about the present because it's right here, right now. And only when, I think what's a good demonstration of a leadership behavior is when you're not only thinking about right here, right now, but thinking about the future, thinking about not only where you're going to be, but where's the company going to be? Where are your peers and colleagues going to be? I mean, (laughs) I must admit, it does intimidate me the idea of running a company that has so many different properties, Pixar, 20th Century Fox, (laughs) you know, Marvel. I know, I know. Trying to protect each of those while also driving it forward and being innovative is an incredible achievement that Bob and, and obviously his team, he's not shy about admitting that he's surrounded by great people. Again, another fantastic leadership quality. This next clip, though, is really crazy because it builds on this, Mark, because what it does is it actually shows us how he's actually done this, how he's actually looked into the future, and he's done it. And again, this is where you see the difference between him and Elon. I think Elon doesn't have much patience and just goes incredibly quick, breaks a few things along the way. So this next clip is really instructional because it really frames how they built Disney+. Plus. And rather than rushing, like everyone in the business community was imploring them to quickly launch something to compete with Netflix, they took their time and they showed patience and courage. So let's have a listen to Bob Iger talking about doing this in the right way. We did extremely well licensing our content to Netflix. We're launching this product because we are ready to launch it. We wouldn't have been ready to launch it two, three years ago. We wouldn't have even been ready to talk about it. It takes technology. 
It takes content. It takes the talent to make the content. It takes a marketplace. You could argue that what Netflix has done has actually been good for us because they've seeded the marketplace to robust, over-the-top uh, content distribution and presentation. And so I like launching when we are launching and um, believe that it's a great time for us. And the Fox acquisition had a lot to do with it. Something interesting, David, that yeah. I've observed, and I don't think I've said it publicly, but we announced that we were doing this in 2017. Right. So just summer of less than two years ago. It was actually June of 17 that we decided to do it, and that led to the purchase of BAMTech. And then the opportunity to buy Fox uh, first came up later that year. In fact, just a few months after the board approved us buying the majority share of BAMTech, which was done for one reason, to go into the direct-to-consumer business, Rupert and I sat down and talked about a transaction. We would not have done that transaction had we not decided to go in this direction. Because uh, if we hadn't, we would have been looking at that business in, through a traditional lens. Oh, we're buying TV channels, we're buying more movie-making capability, et cetera, and so on. Um, but by the time the uh, acquisition opportunity came up and we knew we were going in this space, we evaluated what we were buying through this new lens of, wow, what could National Geographic mean to us? What could, be, what could it mean to us being in the direct-to-consumer space in India? What could it mean having access to their library, not to monetize it through traditional means, but to do it through this? Right. Bam. I mean, the light bulb Bam. went off. 30 years of The Simpsons. Well, okay. <laughs> that's actually, that's, that's, I'm not kidding. But that's a, a, yeah. that's a perfect example of what I'm, or, uh, what I'm talking about, or example. It just maybe proves the point. Like, again, we, which maybe speaks to why... Um, People don't acquire companies, too, because you try to measure what you're acquiring in a traditional sense. Our decision to buy Pixar, Marvel, and Lucasfilm was made because we believed that great storytelling would stand the test of time. And no matter how much the marketplace was disrupted, whether it was cable and satellite, movie theaters, traditional television, you name it, a great story, well told, really, a story well told, was going to succeed, meaning right. as, a, as a, um, you know, an investment or as a, as a financial proposition, no matter what. Whew, that's a loaded clip. That is full of great, great stuff that we could unpack for a lot of time. What immediately jumps out at me, though, is this demonstration that Bob isn't just a leader. He's not just this incredible you know, guy who inspires behavior within the business. He is an innovator. These are values and behaviors of an innovator. He's not jumping into decisions too quickly. He isn't measuring things that he can't measure. He's not approaching things in a traditional lens. He's thinking about things actually as a much bigger whole. He's thinking of the opportunity that it might present down the line. He knows the value of, for example, as he calls out, storytelling. And he sees that there's a great value to that and wants to build on it. It's a great clip at demonstrating what he is like as this innovation powerhouse. And I think that to take this further, like how we can have a little Bob ourselves is he's very clear on his beliefs and his mental models. And even though everyone was saying, hurry up, 
launch your own Netflix challenger. He's like, I have clarity of thought. I know what I think. I know what I believe. And I will do it my way. And I love the courage that he has because he has the right mental model. And let me break that down. Because he was so clear in his own mind about when it would be right for Disney that he said to everybody, no, we're not ready. And he had the courage to stand up as Netflix continued to succeed. And what we've seen, it's so beauty with the benefit of hindsight here, they've launched, they have over 50 million subscribers for Disney+. And actually the content offering is paltry compared to Netflix. Yet he had the courage to stand behind his thoughts and his beliefs. So if we don't have thoughts and beliefs, then we can't be courageous like he was. We can't be tough like he was. We can be affected by those around us who don't necessarily have our interests. They have their own interests. I think this is a celebration of know your thoughts and know your values and stay on track. I mean, even Jeff Bezos says, be stubborn on your vision but flexible on how you get there. What I see here is Bob is saying, know your thoughts, know your values and stick to them even when everybody's shouting to go different directions. You got it. That's it. Again, all these different clips that we've talked about today, they are leading to this, you know, all these behaviors and so on. Him acting as an innovator, him acting as this guy who's applying these different mental models to how he's approaching business. He's got that confidence and awareness to say, no, no, we're not ready. It's okay. I know the bigger picture. And it's a good behavior. It's inspiring from a day-to-day career perspective to challenge myself at not jumping to a decision. You know, think about the bigger picture. What else is going on? How do I see things playing out? And what do my colleagues and peers and partners think? You know, apply an awareness to a subjective opinion and actually go and sense check it. That's the thing, like, what do you sense check it against is your values and your mental models, right? If you have a look at my strong belief that products are best built when you test and learn with the end user continuously over time. So whenever someone comes to me and says, here's a great idea, I cannot tell you, Mark, how many times I go to events or meet people and they say, hey, I've got this idea for an app. And my first question is, okay, that that sounds good. How many people have you tested this with? And I'll give you this funny story. So I'm at a startup and technology event and somebody I know introduces me. So I said, you should speak to Mike. He can help you. And this person says, okay, successful entrepreneur. Hey, I've got this idea for a killer app. Okay. And he said, but I'm a bit stuck. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. And he tells me the story of this service. And I was like, how many people have you tested this with? And he said, well, myself and the, the few people that have, have built the beta version of the app, they've all tested it. I was like, okay, but this is a product for consumers. How many consumers have you tested it with? He says, we haven't. And I said, we don't need to have a meeting. We don't need to have a call. You don't need to present the app to me. You just need to go test with users. Now, my point in this is more that because I am so firm in this mental model that testing with users is the source of innovation, that if someone hasn't done it, I don't need to spend an hour on a call where they basically try and pitch me the app. I don't need that. 
And it was quite deflationary because he obviously had been successful in business by doing deals. And I'm like, we don't need to have a meeting. You just need to go and test with users. And it was so disruptive to him, but I could be firm in my thing. You don't need my time. You need to go test with users. Go do that and then come back and we can chat because it's only then that I can really give you some meaningful invite because I can see what the user's response was. And I think that what we can do here from Bob's inspiration is ask ourselves, what do we believe and what do we know to be true? Because when we have a firm sense of those, when we write those things down, when we can write a blog post about them, when we can make a video about them, when we can share those in a meeting with great clarity, that is when we can chart our success. And if you are flip-flopping left and right, depending on what Joe Blog says today and what Joe Blog says tomorrow, that tells me you don't know what you believe and you don't know what you think. And I think what we are seeing, thank you to Bob, is somebody who knows how they want to work with people, but he also has very clear mentor models and how he wants his business to succeed. And borrowing from our friend Simon Sinek, Bob knows the brand of Disney. He knows the values and the why behind the business. It's a great mental model where he can, you know, similar to yourself, Mike, your why is probably around, you know, user input in, in that particular example. It's holding the chap approaching you at a conference, offering a new product and your response of no, go and test with users. That's holding true to the value. And I think what Bob's showing us here as well is, okay, well, we're not going to rush in and create a substandard product that goes up against Netflix, for example. Let's do it right because we're a brand who are all about getting the story correct. Now, this idea of doing it right, now we're going to do a big pivot as we come actually to the final clip of the show. We've got the mental models, We've got how to work with others to be optimistic, to be humble, to be respectful. But, you know, I think we may have left the best to last, Mark. I think this last and final clip really brings home a truth that we have heard timeless times, whether directly from innovators about this idea of hard work or whether what we've gone on to discover is that nobody is an overnight success. It's about discipline. It's about hard work and staying the course, even in the face of great adversity. So I am so pleased to share with you now this last and final clip from Bob Iger of Disney about hard work. Um, I'd say a few things that I've learned and what served me well. First of all, nothing beats good hard, hard work. I know that sounds really trite, but I came to my adult life or my, my career with a, a modest intellect, um, but a tremendous work ethic, and that served me extremely well. With that came a, a real desire to, um, to do well, but I knew in order to do that, I had to be well prepared to. So I'm a, I'm a student. I learn a lot. To this day, I try not to go into anything cold. I try to learn. It also, by the way, one of the most helpful things in terms of making decisions is accumulating knowledge, is making a decision not a, from sh by shooting from the hip, not by winging it, but by learning enough about something to either form a knowledgeable opinion 
or to make a decision based on sure. knowledge that's accumulated. And I think along the way, more than anything else, that has probably contributed to where I am today. Mm, a good secret to Bob's success, I suppose, is a healthy reminder. It's another great tip from Bob. Be prepared, be disciplined, work hard. I've heard a lot from Bob and you know everything I've read about Bob. He goes into his meetings well-informed. He researches who he's going to meet. He knows what he's going to talk about. And as he says, he shoots from the hip. He doesn't wing anything. Again, going back to your previous point, Mike, having input from users, you don't just make it up and be subjective. You go in with a well-informed opinion from your colleagues, your team, your users of the end product. In this case, you're going in from Bob's perspective with knowledge. He wants to be the best version of himself so that he can be the most valuable to those around him, to the business. So true. It's a great ending clip, isn't it? It is because, I mean, this idea of hard work and something that was revealed in the clip, which is this always learning, these are such crucial things. And when they go together, if you work hard and you're always learning, if you think about the eventual compounding effect, means that you're just going to be so much better each day than you were the day before because you took a learning, you built on it, took another learning and built on that and that and that. And I think that what this shows us for all of the things around behavior and mental models, some of those might come naturally to us. Some of those might be a little harder. But one of the things that we know to be true from studying 72 entrepreneurs, innovators, creators and builders is that nobody gets greatness by chance. Mm. There is this deliberate hard work there and that starts every day is your chance to wake up and say, I am going to work like a beast today. I will produce today. I will deliver today. I will not take it easy. I will go to the end of my day knowing that I worked as hard as I could. I did as much as I could. And I think that this is such another good reminder because you might think, hey, you know, he's a Disney, it's huge, you end up at the top, it's all good. No, he's like, no, hard work and always learning. I mean, great stuff, huh, Mark? Oh, boom. That's great. What a great uh, mantra. And he's coming from a guy who's so impressive. You know, he is this classics guy. He's done so much for Disney. What a better role model to have. What a person to inspire us to go and wake up every day, have this optimism, be nice to one another, have respect for one another, sense check ideas, and put in the hard work, essentially. I think Bob's been a great example of a fantastic innovator, for sure. Absolutely. And what a great way to start our media innovation series. We've got Mark Cuban of Broadcast.com and the Dallas Mavericks. He'll be next. Then we're bringing Reed Hastings from Netflix Again, what a timely moment to reflect on a company that is booming right now, not only thanks to COVID, but over the last few years, these guys have defined industries, have stood above, and really they illuminate the path for all of us. So, And this is such a nice pivot from all of that wonderful inspiration we got in the last series with our Women of Innovation. Now we're getting media innovation. It's a bit more cerebral. There's some interesting spectrums here of the ways you think, the ways you behave. 
and even some fundamental classic truths of hard work. Whew, Marky Mark, this is good stuff. Oh, so good. I'm excited. And so our listeners are going to be full of all of this positive energy. When they're looking at their keyboard, they've got the positive energy. What should they type in their browser when they think, I want more? Oh, I want everybody to go and check out moonshots.io. But also, actually, while you're there, go to your podcast app of choice, Apple Podcasts, for example, and leave us a little review. Leave us a few stars if you like what you're hearing. Leave us a few comments. It's really valuable to us to hear what you guys think. So please let us know what you think. Absolutely. So there you have it, everybody. We have come to the end of show 72, a deep dive into the world of Disney and Bob Iger. He's a classics man. He would make Peter Drucker smile. He is doing so many things right. And I hope that all of you, our listeners, could take something from the world of Bob Iger, take his lessons, his values, his mental models, and you can take them into your work. We really look forward to having you on our next show where we're going to dive into the world of Mark Cuban, who's quite a character, so we're going to have no problem researching some great clips, thoughts, and inspiration from him. Thanks once again. This is the Moonshots Podcast. That's a wrap.